Hello and welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order and then we rank them from best to worst. My name's Sarah. And I'm Ben. Thank you for listening to us today. Um, today is a very special episode in that it's not a regular episode and it's not a bonus episode. That's right. Uh, this is an appeals episode. We haven't had an appeals episode in a while, um, but we got an appeal in um, I want to say near the start of April, and we haven't had time to get to it because April turned out to be a really crazy month for us. Yes. Um, so this appeal comes to us from Creature of the Night, Carolyn Kittridge Faustine, a dope last name. <laughs> um, she writes, Dearest Screamers, I would like you to reconsider the placement of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde from 1931, currently ranked at number one. I watched it over Christmas with my dad, following El Fantasma del Convento and Horror of Dracula. We were sorely disappointed. While a few scenes were beautiful and ominous, such as the final conversation between Jekyll and Emma, the repetitive and obvious visual puns and metaphors, such as the cauldron boiling over, removed our investment in scene after scene. Hyde's control over Lucy is violent and horrifying, and the terror she expresses when she approaches Jekyll is visceral, but I found little horror in his uncharismatic power. The dark, cruel magic of the abuser felt in Christopher Lee's Dracula, or even the musical Jekyll and Hyde's Hyde, is absent. I also question what the horror of Jekyll's transformation was meant to be. A regression to a baser human, shown through darkening of the skin, widening of the nose, and curling of the hair, seems unworthy of the top spot, and certainly not above cat people or Gojira. Please reconsider Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and its placement at number one. So, I'm absolutely, Carolyn, happy to do so. And, yeah, that's a very detailed appeal, so that's great. <laughs> yeah, so this is a come at the king situation because we've had Jekyll and Hyde at number one on the list for some time now. Yeah, the original episode is episode 27. Oof, so yeah, like 200 <laughs> episodes ago, more than 200 more episodes than, ago. And uh, also, so it's 1931, so that's like 20, nearly 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah, we're in 1958 currently on the podcast, and yeah, it has stayed very high. So um, I wasn't quite sure where to start, but I thought the easiest way would be to compare Jekyll and Hyde with Horror of Dracula, since Carolyn kind of refers to Horror of Dracula frequently throughout the appeal. Sure. First thoughts before we dive in? When talking about Horror of Dracula, Carolyn brings up like the idea that an abuser has like a dark charm, right? And, you know, Christopher Lee is sexy and Hyde with his like tusks and teeth and um you know like uh simian appearance is not he's like super gross i can see her point with this but i will say that the movie never presents hyde as attractive mm -hmm. like from the get-go um ivy is never uh attracted to him the the movie's not trying to make that point um, the movie's not trying to like engage with that idea. She's immediately repulsed and afraid of him, and it's his 
Money. Um, it's his money and his um, like force and volatile temper that sort of keep her hemmed in, right? Yeah, a little bit of a class aspect as well, though mm-hmm. you could point to him having money to throw around. Um, but, I mean, when everyone first meets Hyde before they see his face, they think, oh, a gentleman, and then he shows his face, and they're like, oh, God. Yeah, the thing about Jekyll and Hyde is, like, Carolyn talks about the obvious visual metaphors. So, yes, the visual metaphors are really obvious, um, because that's how the movie is getting its point across with showing you like oh yeah he's a gentleman until you see his true face and you know that's one of the things about a horror movie that a horror movie can do that a drama can't really do Mm -hmm. um in a horror movie you're taking whatever social points you're talking about and you're kind of exaggerating them to become monstrous yeah a comedy will expand those points to comedic effect which is where you kind of see the tie with like comedy and horror i found carolyn's question of like well where's the horror here very interesting um because while i agree that the horror of jiggle's transformation into a like ape-like creature is you know, from a certain point of view, could be seen as very problematic uh, in the sense of like, yes, he's becoming more simian, but then the racist caricature of like, well, darker skin and tying that to, say, African-Americans, the way that the nose is shaped and all that. So I can see where like, you know, there's concerns there. Not that Carolyn's specifically bringing that up. I think it's what she's implying, though. And I think we need to unpack that. And there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Because... At this point, you're talking about um, sort of a question of like filmmaker intent versus what you as an audience member are bringing to it. Um, Because I think, to me at least, it's clear that the intent here is they're trying to go for a visual that suggests that Hyde's baser instincts, his more animalistic tendencies are visually going to be represented by like a um, more simian appearance playing into like an evolutionary idea that, you know, this is the more animalistic version of man. And we're looking at things through like a evolutionary idea of, you know, modern man who has repressed those things looks like this versus that. And I think that's a really interesting idea or way to show that given we're set in like Victorian times when evolution and phrenology i think is how you pronounce Mm. it and all of that is like leading scientific thought right um obviously the movie isn't made in that time but it's an interesting idea um to visually show it that way yeah um now if we want to talk about the idea of like okay are they saying that when he's evil he's black no Um, i do not think so no i don't think so either i think that the thing is that those dots like connecting like a ape-like appearance to like a um typically african appearance those are dots that racist society has already connected on like a broad cultural level and i think the thing to ask yourself is is the movie making that point or are you making that point is that something that you are bringing to the movie um certainly there is an undercurrent in movies of this period 
of using monsters going after women as a code for a fear of black people going after your white women, right? Yeah, we saw that in a lot of 30s and 40s movies with the ape suits. Yes. And so, you know, Carolyn's not wrong in contextually identifying that there is that connection being made in in like monster movies of this time. Um, you know, it's arguably subtextual in King Kong and it is n- completely textual in like Ingagi, mm-hmm. right? So is that what's happening here with Jekyll and Hyde? The reason I don't think so is because Jekyll and Hyde is talking about the way that like the rich and the wealthy can get away with stuff. Um, It's talking about like, you know, again, as you point out, everyone sees Hyde as a gentleman until they see his face, but he can still get away with all the abuses he's perpetrating um, because of his money. So we see Hyde become criminal, but he's criminal in the same way that like a wealthy person is criminal. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think also what's interesting to think about here is that, yes, Hyde is the villain and Ivy is absolutely a victim here. But Jekyll is also a victim here. You see it in his face when like the guilt comes to him. And yes, he's a victim of his own actions, Uh, And I'm not excusing any of that. But what I really like about the 31 film is that it manages to handle all of that complexity. And it shows that Jekyll, before he goes full hide, uh, has a sexual side Mm -hmm. um, with Ivy, likes to flirt, whatever. When Hyde comes out, that's when things go too far. And he has so much guilt about that. Yeah. Um, So it shows the horror in himself losing control it shows the horror of Hyde's actions on ivy and everyone else in the story for sure i also think um a really key scene is the one where he sort of he's really impotent in that when ivy comes to see jekyll looking for help from Hyde, like the best he can do for her is to like give her some money yeah to try and assuage his own guilt he doesn't actually do much to really help her well, he, he plans to never drink the potion again. Yeah, but that doesn't work out. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Jekyll and Hyde is very much about things like abusive relationships, abuse of wealth and power, um, substance abuse, mm-hmm. um, the dangers of like sexual repression, um, you know, the kind of push-pull between the restrictions of society, your sort of... Um, basic human instincts and finding ways to like positively express those instincts, whereas they might come out negatively if they are repressed. And ultimately I think a lot of that touches again on then the ideas of like evolution and where do human beings come from? And that leads us over into that um, more ape like hide in ways that don't, um, explicitly touch on like race relations. I don't think there's a big race relations like subtext in the film anywhere. Um, But I don't deny that because those kinds of subtexts were being used in films of this time, that it's impossible to Mm -hmm. see that here. I don't think that's what the movie is doing purposely. I want to kind of talk about the sexuality of Jekyll and Hyde and compare it with 
horror of Dracula because sure. that's a major theme in horror of Dracula. And again, Carolyn brought up horror of Dracula quite pointedly. Um, we've talked about, you know, Jekyll and Hyde finding complexity and, you know, you have sexuality, you want to repress it. There's danger in repressing it. There's also danger in letting it just go free. Um, in horror of Dracula, it's a very fun movie. It's very good and entertaining. And I love the approach that they took that every woman who, um, after having a night with Dracula plays it as having, you know, the morning after, after having the best sex of her life. Sure. I love that approach, but it also means that it's like, well, that's kind of something like, do we want to celebrate that? Like that they're like getting some sexual freedom and getting out of sexual repression, but yet that's coming at the hands of who's supposed to be our villain. So it doesn't feel as complex as Jekyll Hyde. A key difference here is I think what Carolyn's bringing up with bringing up that dark charm is this idea that like, if you're going to be talking about abusive relationships, typically, you know, there's a, honeymoon period uh where you know you are actually attracted to that other person right there's something that draws you in and it might even be that they're a little dangerous um there's nothing abnormal about being attracted to someone who seems like a little dangerous maybe isn't really the best person for you so Um, you're saying it's okay that i have a big crush on oliver reed right yes thank you very much Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so I acknowledge like that's, that's a thing. Um, and so the thought process here is like, well, Christopher Lee is sexy and Hyde is not, he's a big monster. So the movie is like failing to represent that. Mm-hmm. You know, the question becomes why would anyone go with Hyde to begin with when he's like so obviously terrible. And so for that, I think you have to like back up to the idea that the movie is filled with obvious visual metaphors which Carolyn also didn't like, but the movie's examining this idea of, you know, abusers through um, allegory. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about like, oh, you know, there's this charm that draws you in and then you're stuck with the abuser, we have to understand that it's Jekyll who is the charm that draws you in. Mm -hmm. Ivy meets Jekyll first and like wants to be with him and wants someone like him and then gets stuck with Hyde. And Hyde knows this and like mocks Ivy about it, right? Like even though he wasn't there to the best of her knowledge, he's making references, you know, to her meeting with Jekyll about like, oh, come examine my leg um, and stuff. And she's like, how could you know that, right? When we talk about the idea of like a charm to the abuser, that's Jekyll. Um, We are seeing that honeymoon period versus fear kind of cycle in abuse instead of being represented sort of by Christopher Lee seducing you and then the fangs come out. It's being represented by Jekyll and what a nice guy he is. And then he's hiding hide, you know, underneath. Right. Yeah. And I, I also personally would not characterize Christopher Lee's Dracula as an abuser He's a predator. Yes. That's the other thing. Yeah. Like Christopher Lee's Horror of Dracula, like that movie's not talking about abusive relationships. Yeah. That movie's talking about about sexual predators in, you know, it's a different thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also wanted to kind of touch on special effects. 
Mm. Um, partly because Carolyn brought up the visual metaphors. Um, the special effects in Jekyll and Hyde, I think, are really well done mm -hmm. uh, for the transformation. Uh, the fact that he gets worse every time, um, how rapid things kind of go. And to that end, um, the way that it uses the visual film language to convey these metaphors. Yeah. Horror of Dracula, very good special effects, very bloody. It's also heavily leveraging the tools at hand. Mm. It's a bit more blunt with them. I, I guess you could say Jekyll and Hyde is also blunt because they are pretty obvious metaphors. But there's something about it that feels less blunt than Horror of Dracula that's just like stake in the heart kind of blunt, you know? Well, okay. The thing about Jekyll and Hyde is when you think about it contextually, you have a movie that is talking about sexual repression and um, these kinds of dark sexual topics. And yes, the production code hasn't been enforced yet because it's 1931. The production code still does exist. And all of those like individual censor boards all across America exist. So, you know, they, they get very close to coming right out and saying that the problem is that Jekyll wants to um, have sex with his fiance and can't and is frustrated by the fact that his um, father-in-law-to-be keeps like wanting to push the wedding date, you know, further and further back. Um, but they can't quite get to it. They even have like Lanyon, for instance, sort of saying things like, well, it just isn't done, Jekyll. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those visual metaphors are there to help us get the point because we can't quite come out and say the point. Additionally, this is a very early sound film. Mm -hmm. So are the visual metaphors obvious? Yes. But in the context of film at the time, is it sort of necessary to be obvious with our metaphors? A little bit. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, if you were to remake that film today, you definitely wouldn't have the pot boiling over and things like that. But that's because, like, you know, you can show and talk about so much more in a movie now. Yeah. Speaking about the pot hmm. boiling over... I, I personally really like that metaphor because, um, yes, it's boiling over because it's been, you know, the lid's been stuck on it, but it's also boiling over and the liquid is putting out the fire underneath and like mm. literally like killing itself because it will no longer be boiling. Um, but part of why I really like the ending of Jekyll and Hyde is the fact that like we're just stuck here, like looking over someone's body. Mm -hmm. They saw him turn into a monster jump and attack and then get shot. Now he's laying on the ground and like the movie ends with yes, the pot, but also his Butler crying mm. and it's just very somber mm -hmm. versus horror of Dracula where yes, it's still somber. We've still survived a pretty harrowing thing, but um, the, the breeding couple get together at the end. They pull her out of the, the grave mm -hmm. And Dracula is defeated, and it's kind of like, oh, here's the sunrise. Hope has been restored. Sure, yeah. I think, um, you know, Jekyll and Hyde shows some of the unique things of, like, the way we go through our movies by going through everything in chronological order and looking at things within the context of, like, the time they were made mm -hmm. and, you know, how far are they pushing boundaries and what are they doing in the context of that time. Because um, that's very fair. 1931 is pretty far back 
Um, and Horror of Dracula is like the year we're in, 1958. So, you know, the argument here from Carolyn has to do with the movie being a little bit too obvious. It has to do with like a notion about the hide makeup, um, racial caricatures that are sort of beneath what a film in the top 10 maybe should be going for. Um, and then this idea that like they lost an opportunity to portray Hyde as um, charming in some way. And this made me think of the 1941 remake mm-hmm. where Hyde in that one is just kind of like Jekyll or Jekyll rather with like wild eyes and crazy hair and sharp teeth. But like he's very yeah. similar and, you know, we, we debated a bit when we talked about the 41 Jekyll and Hyde about the makeup and the idea of, like, what do we like better? Because the the thing about the 41 Jekyll and Hyde is he looks more human, which means that you don't quite have that, like, cognitive dissonance that you do in the 31 where, like, people react to Hyde in the 31 version is like, oh, God, he's hideous. But, like you find yourself watching and thinking like, wouldn't you react way more strongly than that? Like he has like tusks and shit. Like he's a (laughs) monster. Whereas the flip side of that coin is that where your cognitive dissonance comes from in the 41 version is yes, he looks human. So it's more believable, but he also looks way too much just straight up like Jekyll, right? He just looks like a Jekyll who hasn't slept in a while and hasn't run a comb through his hair in a while. Yeah. Cause they also have to look, look like different people yes because it's like visually and literally trying to describe the way that someone becomes two-faced under substance abuse Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so the other thing too is that i think spencer tracy played his hide with a bit more of that magnetism Mm -hmm. i really like the way march plays hide as almost like almost like a satire in a way like March's Hyde knows that he's hideous and knows that he cannot be attractive, but he um, performs being attractive and sexy, knowing that he isn't because he knows it's going to squig her out even more. Like he's like, oh, my dear, you know, come and embrace me and like all this kind of (laughs) stuff. And and um, well, he's not performing. um like, oh, I'll be charming here or whatever. He's performing class. Mm, sure, yes. Because the thing is, is that what Hyde is doing is mocking Jekyll. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, it's like, yes, it's about sexual repression, but it's also about himself, him hating himself. Yes, exactly, exactly. There's a lot going on in the movie, and I think that's why it continues to rate so highly. And, you know, Miriam Hopkins' portrayal of Ivy obviously is a big part of what keeps it so high as well with just how effective her breakdowns. Yes, exactly. How effective those are. I mean, she, she milks whatever script she's given. If you've seen other films of hers. Oh yeah. Um, she's, she's fantastic. Yeah. She's good in everything basically. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, to the point where she definitely overshadows Rose Hobart as Muriel. Um, but thankfully Frederick March is so strong as, both Jekyll and Hyde, that those scenes still work as well. Um, Rose Hobart just unfortunately is stuck 
sort of, I think, in a mode of acting that you see a lot in the early sound period of like that mid-Atlantic accent. Yeah. But even she gets her breakdowns. So I personally am leaning towards keeping Jekyll and Hyde at number one, even after this conversation. I think if we wanted to compare it to something that has just as much meat on its bones for having this complexity and everything would honestly be Cat People. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Cat People has a lot of the same complexity in its addressing of um, sexual repression, right? Um, They're similar in that way. And the way it handles talking about mental illness, um, I'll say marital relations, but what I mean is like divorce or not to get divorced, that sort of thing, and handling that really respectfully and in like an adult way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Currently, Cat People's still number two, right? Correct. Um, And if people want to go back and listen to Cat People, that's episode 98. Horror of Dracula is episode 232. Mm Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, like, why do we have cat people below Jekyll and Hyde? I think it was based on the power of the films being able to show each person's horror. So in the case of Jekyll and Hyde, as we kind of already talked about, um, Jekyll gets to show his horror at what he's done. Um, Ivy gets a moment of horror. Rose Hobart's character gets a moment of horror. Like everyone, there's space for everyone to be a victim here Mm. cat people um it's very focused on just three people um white bread guy whose name i don't recall at the moment um he like even he's never really threatened it's really um the co-worker yes and uh uh, yeah alice um and arena has her fears but then she also gets to show her reveling in this newfound power. Sure. Um, and then tearing her doctor to pieces. But it's like, doesn't feel as complex, I guess. I think the thing is that I think Jekyll and Hyde can be a difficult watch. I think it mm. sort of like forces the audience to confront some things and, you know, makes you watch these really difficult harrowing scenes Cat People is scary. It manages to be scary, but it's not as uncomfortable. Um, and I think it might be, you know, a little bit of time before we hit another horror movie that like kind of rubs your nose in it the way that Jekyll and Hyde does. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, the 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 metaphor of Jekyll and Hyde is pretty obvious in the idea of being about this fear that within you there is an irrational animalistic side that you can't control that if you're not careful can come out right yeah it's this idea of you know when you get drunk and you pass out and you wake up the next morning you're like okay what did i do when i was drunk and there's a similar part of that fear with Irena Mm -hmm. in the sense of like something's inside me but it's also like just inside her you know, it's not a, as universal a fear. Arena's fears are about fears of her heritage, yeah. right? It's about, you know, is this heritage that I come from in the old world compatible with the new world life that I'm trying 
to lead, mm-hmm. right? And what will you think of me when you learn about the culture I'm from? And, you know, will that drive a wedge in our relationship? Um, Jekyll and Hyde is about this fear of the animal inside you. The way that that is sort of visually represented in Jekyll and Hyde through like these ideas of evolution and this ape-like creature um, are probably ones that don't hold up today Mm -hmm. because I think the idea that the version of you that does things you don't like is less evolved or more animalistic and that like human evolution is some sort of, um, you know, linear march towards better, more ethical creatures and that like unethical behavior can be, you know, blamed on like an animal side. Um, I think that's a simplistic viewpoint that was popular at the time and in vogue at the time and doesn't hold water anymore because I think what we've seen a lot of evidence of is that as society gets more and more complex and human beings get more and more complex, um, it provides more avenues for selfishness and greed than in a more simplistic society where selfishness and greed will get you killed. And so this idea that, you know, to be selfish, to be greedy, to be hateful is more animalistic and it's more advanced and evolved to be proper and whatnot. Um, I think the dichotomy is false there. Mm -hmm. And that's something that hasn't aged well about Jekyll and Hyde, except that the movie's actually a little more complicated than that. Yeah. Because what the movie's saying is not necessarily that that animalistic side is bad. It's that if you only live by that, that's bad. Well, it's, you know, the idea that um, Hyde has been repressed. And when he first comes out... Um, when Hyde, when he first turns into Hyde, he's like super joyful, actually. Like Hyde is like super happy to be out, to be free. He spends, you know, a moment to like enjoy the rain on his forehead and, you know, just enjoy the fresh air and stuff. Um, Jekyll's not wrong in thinking that, you know. There needs to be a better balance here. Yes. The, the problem with Hyde is that he is so resentful of himself right it's the it's the issue that jekyll hates himself and he resents the repression and so he takes that out on other people right i think yes if we were to remake this today i don't think like the ape-like thing would really work no i think a better way of doing it is to make the the hide more attractive like make them more make them everything that you kind of wish you were Mm. But then that's also exacerbating, like, the worst parts of you. I'm pretty sure there must be a version that's done it that way. Yeah. Um, what I do know is that no one, to the best of my knowledge, has ever done maybe some of those old 1910s short versions or whatever. But in the book, um, Hyde is described as smaller than yeah. Jekyll um, because the idea is that, like, he's only part of the full person. Yeah. Um, he's smaller and I think he's younger and he doesn't look like a monster. He just looks like off. Like everyone's in the book's description of him is just that like, there's something inhuman looking about him, but they can't really put their finger on it. 
but yeah, it's like when you look at yourself in uh, like not selfie mode, but your face looks a little weird. Mm. I think um, <laughs> the other thing about the book is that um, Jekyll in the book is middle aged as opposed yeah. to a young man. You know, the book's themes are not the same themes as the themes in the movie, um, quite assuredly. Um, and we talk about that in the episode as well. But um, all of this is to say, like, I think I'm comfortable with keeping Jekyll and Hyde at the number one spot. I appreciate the concerns and critiques mm -hmm. that Carolyn brings up. And I think the important thing to acknowledge about them is that Jekyll and Hyde is not a perfect movie. Um, it's not our goal for it to stay at number one forever. Um, no, that would be so boring. Right. Um, <laughs> but also that, you know, there are ambiguities and a lot of little things to take into account when we make our list. Um, you know, like one of the things that comes up a lot is this is a list of best to worst horror movies and not necessarily best to worst movies. Like we're not necessarily judging how good they are as films. How good they are as films certainly comes into play. And Jekyll and Hyde has a ton of great cinematography and like um, cinematic tricks that make it a good film. But, you know, ultimately it's how much of a horror film is it? Yeah. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head about the way that it handles making you uncomfortable mm -hmm. because that's a uh, goal of a lot of horror movies um, even to come. Like, yes, we're in 1958, but I think making people uncomfortable is like a goal of like the saw movies right it's not so much like you're supposed to be scared by the gore you're supposed to be like grossed out carolyn you know has brought up this idea that there's not a lot of horror because hyde's so uncharismatic and i think you know the thing is is that the movie's accomplishing something different than say you know your your christopher lee dracula's or whatever um if we're talking about you know, the charisma versus the horror underneath. Um, you know, I already mentioned that like Jekyll is meant to be the charismatic half here. Um, Jekyll is the like smooth white porcelain mask and, you know, Hyde is uh, the ugly phantom of the opera face underneath, <laughs> right? But I think the horror of Hyde in this movie is not about oh, he's going to draw you in and you don't know what a bad idea that is, right? It's not um, picture of Dorian Gray. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, he's so pretty and rich. And then it's like, ah, but there's no soul there. That's not the horror. The horror is that she's trapped and can't get out because he's got so much more power than she does being that he is a man, that he has money, and that he is physically strong. And so the horror that's being represented here is not the horror of you know, oh, he's dangerous and it's so easy to lose yourself to him. The horror here is we're already in the abusive relationship and we can't get out and there's nothing we can do. And our abuser is amused by that, is quite well aware of what he is doing and is having a grand old time doing it. Yeah, it's very cool how um, this movie handles showing structural in inequities mm. um, with Ivy being a sex worker with Ivy being poor. Mm -hmm. um, yes, being a woman, but like the way that she is unable to get out of this relationship and Rose Hobart character is protected 
Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and you know, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to this movie. Yeah. And so I think if we want to talk about what the horror of Hyde here is, you know, it's either we're looking at it from Jekyll's perspective and the horror of Hyde is that horror of losing control mm-hmm. or we're looking at it from Ivy's perspective and the horror is that horror of being just like trapped with something that you can't escape and that you know is bad, that you know is harmful. You know, she's never in love with Hyde at any point in the story. Yeah, she's there because he has money. Right. And she's willing to put up at the beginning, willing to put up with his appearance because she has to do these things for money. Yeah. And then, you know, it basically gets to the point where she's trapped. Yeah. Um, And from there on, it's just a matter of time. And that's the thing is like, yeah, Hyde's shitty. He's just shitty, period. And and so, it's also just a matter of time until the self-destructive nature leads to Jekyll's death as well. Right, exactly. And sometimes it's worth um, being really clear about stuff like that because, you know, all we have to do is look at the high number of people who have, let's say, missed the point of stories like Dracula or Phantom of the Opera where, like hey he's the bad guy yeah you know and and the number of people who are like no 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 but but he's the sexy one so i can fix him and so sometimes sometimes subtlety is for cowards basically <laughs> like is jekyll and hyde obvious yes but sometimes there is value in being obvious because oh boy do i see people miss like the obvious points of things uh very often well, thank you so much, Carolyn, for sending in this appeal. We really appreciate you taking the time. We really appreciate you engaging with the films um, as well as with the podcast. Like, that's super cool. But I also really love seeing people engage with these movies because sometimes it feels like people have lost touch with some of these old classics. If you would like to submit an appeal like Carolyn did, you can head to our website, ScreamScenePodcast.com, and appeal the ranking of any one of the films on the list that you can find there. Um, You can also email us at ScreamScenePodcast at gmail.com or talk to us on Twitter at underscore ScreamScene. ScreamScene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. If you'd like to help the show out, you can do so by leaving us a rating or a review. You can subscribe to the show on our RSS feed. You can tell people about the show on social media. And you can help us out financially by heading over to patreon.com slash podcast, where you can become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month. We'll be back next week with our regularly scheduled Scream Scene content. Uh, what are we watching again, Ben? Next week... Sarah, we are going to be headed off to merry old England with another Jimmy Sangster monster movie. It's the Trollenberg Terror. Right, right. Awesome. Well, we will see you then, creatures of the night. Bye. Bye. Bye.